probably six to seven of the guys are out there practicing in some form or fashion, even though we don't have an organized practice, we don't have anything called for. So you got to have some highly motivated guys, guys that that aspire to go to that next level because 20 hours a week is never going to be enough. Welcome to another episode of The Mental Golf Show. I'm your host, Josh Nichols. And on today's episode, it's an exciting one for me. I get to talk to head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Chris Hack. Coach Hack is in his 24th year at Georgia. And throughout those years, uh, you can just look at a list of former Georgia players and just compare that to a list of PGA Tour players and there's going to be a lot of crossover. There have been so many good players that Coach Hack has, uh, you know, brought under his wing and uh, brought through college and uh, it's just an, an incredible list of players and accomplishments and championship wins and uh, it's just, the the list is endless. I know I keep saying that about these coaches, but um just another coach that just has a resume that uh, will just kind of blow you away. So uh, listen up for his wisdom, and I hope you can get a lot out of this. And I appreciate you tuning in, and let's get into it. So you are, has it been 24 years at Georgia and that's all, is that the only place you've coached? Yeah, that's the only place I've coached. I spent 16 years um, helping run the American Junior Golf Association right. and I really got my my teeth wet with coaching is when we started in 1990, we started an event called the Cannon Cup, which was the best players from the East against the best players from the West. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Stephen Hamlin uh, captained the East team, and I captained the West team, and did that for six years. And that really is what interested me in coaching because I really liked it. I liked being around the team and the team atmosphere and getting everybody fired up to go play. And and uh, so when the coach at Georgia retired, um, there were quite a few players that I knew that had played at Georgia, and they knew I was a big Bulldog fan. Uh, a few of them called and said, "Hey, you know, Coach Copa's retired. Would you be interested in this job?" And and I was like, "Yeah." After doing <laughs> the Canada Cup, I was like, "Yeah, I think I would have an interest in that." So I came up, interviewed with uh, the great Vince Dooley at the time, who was who was the AD, and and uh, and he gave me a, a chance. And so here I am, twenty four years later, and I still love it. And, and uh, and uh, just love competing and, and looking forward to trying to win another championship. Right. So 
you know, obviously your your list of accomplishments is um, is super long. <laughs> we could, you know, we could spend hours just talking about that. But if you just had to boil it down, um, your twenty four years at Georgia, would you? What would be kind of the highlight of those years? That uh, maybe it's one event, or maybe it's kind of a a generic feeling, or what? What's your thoughts on that? Well, you know. I kind of came into college golf probably a little bit different than most of the coaches did. You know, most of them probably played college golf at a high level. Some of them probably started out as assistants at smaller schools and worked their ways up and, and so forth. But, um, but you know, my days at the AJGA, we always had a tournament at the end of the year around Thanksgiving that we recognized all the All-Americans from the year and so forth. Well, it was the only event that we actually let kids come back and play if they were in college as long as they were still only 18. Hmm. And so for the longest time, you know, I would see these guys and they would, you know, and I'd see them at Thanksgiving time and I'd be like, man, how you like college? Is it great? And inevitably the overlying theme with all of them was it wasn't what I thought it was going to be. Um, you know, my opportunity to play uh, wasn't going to be as fair as I thought. You know, they a lot of times coaches just pick the five, and, and a lot of times they would go with the older guy or the guy on a lot of scholarship and, and make the freshman kind of wait it out. Mm. Um, and so I kind of, when I decided to, to coach, I kind of came into it with a, with a different perspective, and I think it was because of everything I'd heard. And so I I purposely uh, kind of put it into play that we were going to play for our spots mm-hmm. and we were going to compete for our spots, and it didn't matter if you were a freshman or a senior on, you know, big scholarship or low scholarship. You know, the game was all about competing and, and who had the lowest score. It was mm-hmm. the easiest... It's the easiest sport to quantify <laughs> who's playing better. I mean, right. sixty-nine beats seventy every time. So I, I, you know, I didn't have to worry about who was my best dribbler or who was my best passer and, and so forth. It was basically teed up and low-score wins. <laughs> and so I kind of came in with that philosophy, and, and and I think that's been one of the things that the kids have been liked, have liked and embraced, and they know that I don't play favorites and that I, I basically give everybody a, a chance for the bulk of the year. Um, and then at the end, we've got enough data and we've got enough information to be able to, to pick the team. But up until that point, it's, it's equal opportunity for everybody. Right. So with, you know, kind of with that being said of it's totally merit, it's, I mean, that's, that's also what I love about golf is it's not a it's not a popularity contest. It's um you don't have to look good. Uh but with that being said, you've had a ton of amazing players, you know, probably at least since I've been watching golf over the last 10-15 years, the the most like highly concentrated group of guys play on the PGA Tour that I can that I see. So do you with those great players, do you like what's your role in in making those players great, or do you just kind of 
you know, help them as they go through those four years? Or do you have a real role in developing them? Well, I, you know, again, I don't, um, I don't put them all into a cookie cutter. So I kind of treat every kid a little bit differently based on his needs or, or what, what he thinks he needs or what he wants and so forth. So I don't, I don't try to put them into a cookie cutter and treat them all the same. Now, when I say that, when it comes to playing time, which is the most important thing, uh, they're all treated the same. So they all have to tee it up and so forth. So in 24 years, I've only had three players that never missed a tournament because of their abilities to qualify and never missed through the qualifying system that we have. Mm. And that was Harris. Uh, that excuse me. It was uh, Russell Henley, Kevin Kisner, and Brian Harmon. And those three guys just always, always were able to find a way into that lineup and qualify and not miss. Um, and so the basic philosophy always was, and I tried to tell all these guys, and that is every, you know, if, if golf is what your goal is, golf is what you want to do for a living, you just better realize that every, uh, every year, you're doing the same exact thing. You're trying to move yourself to the higher level. So qualifying is just a part of it, whether it's you're going to Q school to go from stage one to stage two or stage two to the finals or from the corn Ferry tour to the, to the PGA tour. Um, and even when you get to the PGA tour, you're trying to get from the 125, you're trying to be in that 75. Or if you're in the 75, you want to get to the 50 hmm. or to the 30. And then, you know, and if you're in the tour championship, uh, you're wanting to try to maybe make the, the Ryder Cup team or the President's Cup team. So you're always constantly having to be challenged to have to play better. And so we start that off right out of the gate with them all, realizing that you control your own destiny, you control your own playing time, and that's the way it's going to be the rest of your life. And all the guys have always embraced that and liked that because they know it's up to them. It's not up to me making the decision on who plays. Mm. And so consequently they work a little harder because they know they're going to have a chance. Mm. So do you, do you do deploy like any actual tactics to, to get them to work hard or, or is it just, all right, you five, uh, all Americans go play, and you'll make each other better by just playing together. Or do you, or do you know? Do you have like a structure of this is generally how we help players improve over their four years? Well, I mean, we you know we'll do some things like obviously we make them we we have a short game practice where where we have something that we call uh, the gauntlet where they we create like a little short course all around our two chipping greens and and it's a combination of. You know, flop shots, bump and runs, bunker shots, so forth. But we we literally paint a circle and, and correspond it to a hole. So they actually have to chip it up and put it in the hole. And they, they'll go through there and they have target scores that they have to hit. So so we make them really practice their short game and not just get out there with a shag bag and hit the same shot over and over and over. We actually make them simulate what happens on a golf course. Um, you know, we have a wedge range and we make them – really work a lot on their, their wedges. Uh, we've got a couple of track men that we, you know, literally make them chart 
their their yardages because it's so important to know how far you hit your clubs. Those are those are some of the biggest key elements to, to move into the next level that you can have. And uh, and obviously with your driver and your your three wood and on down your shot dispersion. You know what is your what's your go to shot when uh, when the pressure's the the hardest, so we you know we make them work on those type of things. But for the most part, we want them playing a lot of golf. We want them out on the golf course, so we do a lot of qualifying and actually put them in in situations where they have to post a score and and beat somebody. Hmm. Right? Um, yeah, you you attack it from from all angles, not just not just beating balls, not just technique work, but uh, actual. Well, yeah, yeah and, and I don't think a lot of people quite understand that in the NCAA rules, we're only allowed 20 hours a week of structured time. Mm-hmm. So so if they're working out three days a week, well, there's three hours. Mm-hmm. Um, if we're qualifying, uh, you know, four times a week at four hours round, you know, there's 16 hours. Um, and all of a sudden, there's just not a lot of time to do anything else. Mm-hmm. So... So what, really, what you have to rely on is that guys are, are uh, uh, self-reliant in terms of working on things that they need to work on. So even though we don't require them to be out here, they can still come out here and practice. We just can't organize it for them or we can't be involved in it. So on a day like today, for instance, if I looked out on the range, probably six to seven of the guys – are out there practicing in some form or fashion, hmm. even though we don't have an organized practice, or we don't have anything called for. Yeah. So you got to have some highly motivated guys, hmm. guys that, that aspire hmm. to go to that next level because 20 hours a week is never going to be enough uh, for those type of guys. Right. And so, they, we, so, yeah. so we really work within what we can in that, in that NCAA time frame. Yeah. And you, you're, school is are is gonna attract guys that have already you know kind of self-selected into that personality and you know high performance type players so you're you're probably not gonna have a you're you're never gonna struggle finding players with motivation at georgia Uh, no and i and i tell the guys all the time if i have to tell you to come out here and work on your right. game, yeah. then you're probably in the wrong spot, you right. know. Right. Um, you know, but but each of these guys, so we kind of we 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 recruit what I call golf junkies, kids mm-hmm. who just even if I said, look, I want everybody to stay away from the range today because you just need a day of rest, half of them would still show mm-hmm. up because they just can't stay away. Right, right, yeah. So I guess with that to kind of segue into the mental game because I'm. I'm a mental coach over up here in North Carolina, and what do you, what kind of things or philosophies do you maybe try to instill related to the mental game? Like, do you do you have uh, assessments or reviews that you guys do, mental game related, those kind of things? Well, um, we do a couple of things. We we uh, we are working with a group out of Nashville called Sports Sense. And they come in and they do a lot of cognitive testing with these guys and try to find out what their their strengths and weaknesses are on how they think and, and how they react to certain things. And, and they're able to give us a little bit of a, a personality type of, of uh, 
read out on some of these guys. Um, but for the most part, we keep it really simple in terms of the mental approach to things. My biggest philosophy on, on teaching any of these kids anything, and that is, look, they're all, especially in this day and age, all of them have good golf swings. Um, all of them have good equipment, you know. Um, the hardest thing to learn for these kids, in my opinion, is how to play their best when the pressure's the hardest, you know, when it's the, the biggest stage. So I always say to them, you know, when you're coming down those last three holes and there's water left and right and you've got to get the ball into the house and and uh, and maybe play even par, maybe even play one under, so you got to keep attacking. Um, what is it? What 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 are you capable of doing when the pressure is is the hardest? Mm. And so what we try to do is just put them in that pressure cooker as much as we can to get them comfortable. Because as I say, I like to see. Um, I want them to be comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. That makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so we're we're always trying to put them into that pressure cooker, whether it's the qualifying system, whether it's the the gauntlet uh, competition that we'll do with them. Um, we want them to feel that pressure. We do another drill called the forties. That's a putting drill where they're only they're only three and a half feet away from the hole on four sides of the hole, but they have to make forty in a row. Mm-hmm. If they miss, they start over. Mm. Well, you know, the first, the first 15, 20, 25 putts are, are pretty easy for them. But as everybody turns and watches, because now they're getting into 32, 33, 36, mm-hmm. you know, they're starting. And all of a sudden you see them, they're starting to <laughs> actually back off and read the putt, <laughs> taking their time and slowing down. And so a lot of times what you'll see is a guy – He'll miss on that 37th or 38th putt um, because the pressure's mounting and he starts thinking about it. Mm -hmm. And so, again, that's what we're trying to tell him is that that's when the pressure's best. That's when you've got to really be able to focus and hyper-focus and stick to your routine and and make sure you maintain your routine. Mm -hmm. That's what we're preparing you for because every, you know, just – just hitting balls on the range, going out and playing with your buddies, or, or the you know, get started off in an event is a lot easier than when you're in the hunt. It's coming down the, the back stretch, and and you have to perform. So that those will, those are the things that we try to teach them, and it's and it's pretty simple. Is that you know what you better you better learn to trust it out here under these circumstances. Because if you can't, you'll never make it out there. Because you're going to be under those circumstances all the time. Right, and if they if they can get to the higher number of you know three and a half footers, and their routine isn't changing, and okay, this I've felt this fifty times before now, and it feels normal, then that has to translate to the course with pressure. There, you're you're basically like rewiring your brain to be okay with stress and Correct. yeah that's that sounds like a great way to practice do you do you do anything else i know you do the gauntlet but do you do any other high intensity you know besides gauntlet and um and qualifying and that putting well i mean those those are the three main things sometimes in the wedge practice 
you know, we'll have competition to see, you know, because we've got a wedge range where there's there are uh, uh, concrete blocks right around the flags, you know, and you have to hit so many of those, uh, you know, the, the concrete pad, you know, to, to make it count. So we'll have competition with that. So, again, if it's, if it's a difference between a guy, he's got to hit, you know, the pad on one of his last five shots or else, you know, mm. he, he runs or he, he has to do something else. Mm. The intensity gets a little hot, you know, a little, little more and he's a little more pressure. Mm. So again, we want to see how he performs when that, that, that pressure's on. And, and consequently, when we're on the golf course in a tournament and I might be walking with a guy or coach Douglas might be walking with a guy and he might miss a green and he gets over and he looks, you know, as a first impression of the shot might be, this is a tough little up and down, you know, we might say to him, you know, this just looks like a regular gauntlet shot. You do these mm. all the time. Yeah. And for some, and then all of a sudden, you know, just hearing the gauntlet shot, it kind of relaxes him because all, cause now it's all of a sudden like, oh yeah, I do this all the time. No big deal. That's good. I, I, I love the, uh, Let's make practice way harder than a tournament, so that a tournament is the is the breath of fresh air. It feels easy almost. Yeah, in fact, the guys will always say, you know, qualifying is much more intense mm. than the tournaments because they're always like, God, when, once we go to the tournament, mm. we just feel like we're relaxed. Yeah, it, I I know exactly. You know, I I played college golf myself, and it did. It felt like qualifying because everyone wants to travel. It's the fun part. And that's a ton of pressure, and even more so at a school like Georgia, where the guys you're playing against are, you know, some of the best in the country. So it's just that much harder, that much pressure. So, oh yeah, I like that. Um, so kind of to bring it back a little bit, what would you, what would you tell a high school player, maybe a freshman, sophomore, junior in high school? I I know your recruiting is probably at a higher level than most schools in the country, but what would you tell someone in that age? Uh, you know, this is what you should be doing to prepare to be at a high level like Georgia. Well, if, if I, unless I know them, you know, specifically and have watched them and seen what their their weaknesses are, I think just as a baseline for any uh, high school kid who's who's aspiring to play. You know, big time college golf, and obviously, if he if he has aspirations of going further than that, and that he better be spending probably seventy to to eighty percent of his time chipping and putting. And that just doesn't mean again going out there with a shag bag and hitting twenty you know twenty feet twenty foot chips up the hill. Mm-hmm. I mean, it it's it's basically taking that shag bag and and. You know, having to hit it as high as he can hit it, as low as he can hit it, um, he need, needs to really fall in love with with the short game and, and all the different shots that you have to hit. Be creative. Really, really challenge yourself on being overly creative with shots. And, and um, I, I think that that is a lost art because I think too many kids are doing nothing but beating balls trying to have the perfect golf swing and trying to make sure that, you know, they're in the slot, they're on plane, and they're this. You know, golf is a game of bad shots. Hmm. And 
and you're going to hit some bad shots. You're not going to hit 18 greens. You're not going to, you know, you're not going to hit it in a fairway, eight, you know, 18 times. It's it's a game of bad shots, and, and if you can limit your bad shots, um, and you can also recover from your bad shots, well, then you're going to be the guy who, at the end of the tournament, generally has a chance to win. Hmm. Yeah, and I, I mean, obviously, my mind goes to Bubba at the Masters. Um, you know, being one of your players, recovering from bad shots. He's probably pretty used to recovering from bad shots, but um, yeah, my mind just went to that. But uh, so, kind of on piggyback on good players that you've had, do you have any, I guess, regrets uh, looking back and saying, "Man, I wish I had done said this one thing to this one player," or as a whole, maybe a regret? I know that's a negative question, but. Anything like that? Well, yeah. Um, and so my early years, I never, again, I was never one to tinker a lot with guys' golf swings. Um, I always kind of left that up to the guy who had been teaching them mm-hmm. uh, up to that point. I still do to this day. I, I, I just want to become an extension of his teacher because I think, uh, I think, Kids need basically one voice in their head. They don't need uh, two, and they darn sure don't need more than that. Mm. Um, so there were a couple of occasions early in my career where uh, a really good player um, wanted to maybe make a change in their golf swing, or they want you know felt like they needed to go try a different teacher, and I didn't really stop that i didn't really understand i think sometimes the the detriment of that early on and so i would let them go do it and then consequently they spent uh a lot of time trying to go back to where they were Mm. and so uh at some point i just realized i'm not gonna let that happen again and i'll never forget uh a case in point i know he would he would tell the same story is Russell Henley came in to me one day and said, Hey, I think I want to go start working with such and such. And, and, uh, I think I need to, you know, to learn how to do this and this. And I finally, just, I sat him down and said, look, we're going to have a long talk about it. And I told him about the couple of examples of the guys before him that, that I really thought made a mistake by doing that. And I told him, I said, I really think, what you do is pretty sound fundamentally. You just got to play to your strengths. You know, you're a great putter. You got a great short game. And and just just keep doing what you're doing and just become more consistent with what you're doing. Mm-hmm. And, and he did. And he didn't change. And I know he and I just spoke recently at a... Uh, at a uh, Haskins Awards luncheon. And he actually brought that up and mm-hmm. that he was really glad that I didn't let him change. And so I, I'm probably a little bit more cautious of that in this day and age, and I wish I would have maybe stopped a couple of those guys because I think they would probably still be playing today if I if I uh, just kept them on the, the path they were already on because they were really good players and and just not let them change. Right. I, I, I definitely know how you feel because you don't want to – especially early on before you've built up an amazing track record you you don't want to 
like you're the player, you have the autonomy. I'm gonna let you do what you feel is right. So I understand where you're coming from, um, but now that well, you, yeah, and even and you know, and even I mean, guys on tour today. I mean, you'll still see guys that that change. I mean, heck, I mean, Tiger is notorious for you know for going from this guy to this guy to this guy, and and uh, but he had the talent to overcome it. Um, but I think it's, there's such a temptation among all these guys to to find that that magic pill, you know, to 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 find something that just clicks. Mm. But the bottom line is the reason they are where they are is because what they could, and this is the bottom line in my opinion, is they found something that they could repeat, and they could repeat it when the pressure was on, and that's why. They were able to do the things they do. Some guys are just going to be more capable of hitting, you know, a two iron, 80 miles in the air and bringing it down soft. Some guys aren't, you're just physically not going to be able to do that. But you might be able to putt better than that guy, or you might be able to, to chip better than this guy. So find your strengths and make sure you play to those strengths. And, uh, you know, if, if, and I was fortunate that, that when I was with the AJGA, I, you know, Jim Furyk played in our tournaments and I got to know his dad. And thankfully, his dad never let anybody mess with the swing because there were a lot of guys that wanted to and I'm sure there were a lot of guys that tried. And I think finally at some point, uh, his dad just went, look, this is your swing. This is what you're going to do. Mm. And look at his career. I mean, it's phenomenal. And nobody would have picked him out on the range um, if they if you didn't have names associated with it. <laughs> um, but but he what he could do is he could repeat it, especially when the pressure was on. That's that's the hard part. Hmm. So um, I won't keep you any longer. I just have one one more question that I that I like to ask. Uh, what what percentage of golf is mental and what percentage is physical oh gosh i guess in my mind it's probably probably 60 percent mental and 40 percent physical hmm. maybe maybe even 70 30 hmm. do you do you have a elaboration on that no, I'm just kind of going based on what I think because I do think yeah. there are some kids that have physical traits that that separate them from others. I mean, again, you cannot teach what Bubba Watson can do. Mm. You know, you just can't teach a guy to hit it 350 yards with a cut. I mean, that's just physical. Mm. Um, you know, but mentally, uh, you know, guys can obviously get stronger and better in that capacity mm. but the, you know but you still got to have some type of physical ability to be able to make your body do what it's supposed mm. to do right so some kind of balance of the two right oh yeah okay. absolutely well coach i appreciate your time i won't keep you any longer um i uh i thank you for your generosity and your answers and your honesty well i i hope it's helpful and uh, uh i've Glad to be on anytime you need me. Alrighty, Coach. Uh, well, you take care, and I'll I'll be sure to let you know when I've uh, published this podcast. All right, sounds good. All right, have a good one. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye.
Thanks for listening to this episode of the Mental Golf Show. If you liked it, I'd love it if you subscribed. And if you want some more, you can go to joshnicholsgolf.com. Or I would love to get in touch with you. Just send me a text, 336-399-1825. All right, catch you next time.